Guys, well, he introduced myself, but I'll, I'll do it again. My name is Jacob Vigil. I'm one of the pastors here at Saints Hill. Um, I directly look over worship and everything that's kind of there. It's so awesome to be with you guys. Um, the, the topic that we're going to talk about tonight is worship. I mean, I, I, I'm just so excited to talk about worship because it's something that, it's honestly, this is maybe one of the first times that I've given a, a platform to actually share my heart fully on this idea of the lifestyle of worship. Um, I, I think um, in, in planning this kind of night, uh, Alex and I, we, we really started talking. We got excited to think the reason why we want to talk about worship so early is because I really feel like a prophetic word for our house is that we are going to be a house of worship, that we're going to be a people that love his presence, that love um, that Jesus is the main thing in our gatherings, and that, that, that's the main thing that we, that we kind of go after. Um, so real quick, um, when I was kind of planning this message and researching and doing all the kind of stuff you do, because this is kind of new to me, so this is, when I was doing all this kind of stuff, the phrase that kept coming to my mind was, I want to give him everything, everything in my life I want to give to him and have it be in his glory. So I even actually want to say that together. That's kind of the thesis of my talk is I want to give him worth in everything that I do. Can we say that together? I want to give him worth in everything I do. Let's say it again. I want to give him worth in everything that I do. It's so good. So let me just pray real quick. I'm going to invite the presence, um, and then we're going to get started. Sound good? Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you've given us this place to worship. In this moment, we actually stop and remember you as Messiah, as Savior, that you're not some idea, but you're a person. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to come right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. God, would you, I'm even praying, would you put me on, Holy Spirit, like a glove? God, I don't want people to just hear um, just words that become just head knowledge. I pray that only by the work of your spirit that you would begin to move our knowledge, everything that we're learning about you, would you move it to our heart? God, we want to be transformed. Awesome. Amen. Okay, to get started, did every, who brought their Bibles? Okay. Oh, okay. Maybe not. A phone kind of counts, but the ones with the real thing, that's good. Okay, let's go ahead and turn to Mark 14. That's where we're going to start. Is there any happy people in the house of God today? <laughs> I'm happy. Worship was fun. A little sweaty. Can we open a door or something? Just kidding. I'm being silly. Mark 14, are you guys there? Awesome. Okay, before we jump into the text, I want to share a brief history about me in the context of worship. So actually, guys, I started leading worship um, around 12, 13 years old. Um, the first time I ever sang in church, though, I would say, and my mom's here. Hi, mom. Love you. Um, oh, um, not in the notes. Um, okay. Uh, but the first time I ever sang in church, I was probably like 8, 9, 10, around that time. And this is really funny. It's a funny story. Um, I grew up in two different churches, mainly, growing up. And this first one was when I was around 8, 9, 10. And this church um, had a Christmas play. Um, and I decided, it, I don't even think you auditioned. It was like you 
you, like, if you're in the youth group, you're in. And I was like, all right. So I was in the play, and I got casted as, does anyone know Emerald the Chef? Okay, yeah. So I was casted as Emerald the Chef, which also now when I was thinking about this, it was like, what does that have anything to do with the Christmas story? Why is Emerald in this play? But I remember I got, do you remember this? Okay, I was casted as Emerald the Chef. I wore this whole chef costume, super tiny, and just big hat. And I remember they gave us the CD to sing, and I remember driving around with my mom, and, and the song would be playing, so I was learning to sing. And then we have this Christmas play, and what's crazy about the Emerald guy, not all the characters, I wish I'd known this, but the Emerald character had a full, like, song, like a musical. And I was like, hey, I got to learn the song. So I go up and sing, and so I sing. I just remember the song in between was just a lot of, like, me throwing spices, like, bam. Like, it was super weird. I don't know how that ties into Jesus, but it's Okay. Lexi over kids, we're not going to do that play. But anyways, um, so Emerald the Chef, so I go to sing, and what was really cool is I, I sing as Emerald, and then I, it was the, honestly, it was the first time I ever really sang. I, I grew up with music around the house, but I didn't really like, I, def, I mean, I was eight or something. So I, I sang this song, and I remember directly after um, singing, like directly after, I remember people just being like, wow, you have like such a good voice, and this is awesome, and have you thought about like leading worship and all these kind of things? I was like, whoa. And very soon after that, I even remember our church, they didn't really have a choir, but like three or four background singers, you know what I mean? And they asked me, it was like mostly all women, which is cool, but it was then me, this eight-year-old chef, and so I would sing, I would sing, I would sing with these people, and so I would sing, and then, um, and then, if, if, any of you, if any of you guys have heard of the Vineyard Movement, then my family moved to the Vineyard Movement, and that's where I grew up. That's around, I would say, 12, 13 is when I started leading worship in the Vineyard Movement. It's a, the Vineyard Movement is so amazing because they, we honestly model a lot of what we do after them because they just, they're huge value for worship. Um, and so around 13, 14, I started learning how to play guitar. I started singing songs a bunch. And, and actually, what's really cool about the Vineyard Movement is there's a lot of different vineyard churches in the area, in the whole world, really. Um, and so they're all, they are all very connected. And so I started becoming friends in different worship bands. And, and honestly, at such a young age, like 13, 14, 15, I started leading worship like a lot. And it was something that was like, hey, this is, this is what I want to do. I, it was a little bit because I was young, like, okay, I want to be a cool guy. I want to like sing songs. I want to write songs. I want to tour, all these kind of things. And it started to even get to the point, now fast forward to like 17, 18, when I um, then started getting invited to like lead at out-of-state conferences and all these different churches and even getting paid and, and all these kind of things. And I remember around 18, um, which is so funny, is around 18, I just started feeling super just stressed out, like burnt out, because um, I felt like I was just really thrusted into ministry, if you will. I mean, at 12, 13, and actually traveling and leading worship, it was a big deal. It was fun. But I started getting really stressed out. I think I was really living off of my own strength. I was started getting really weak. Therefore, I felt drained. Um, and I remember, I remember it leading all of these, these feelings of even it started getting to the point of it, it was a bummer because I was like, I don't want to really do the thing that I feel called to anymore. I was like tired. I remember even saying things out of my mouth like I'm an 18-year-old, 19-year-old like worship leader, but I feel like a stressed out 50-year-old just was like, and I, there was this disconnect there, and I remember one day in particular, it led, out of frustration, really, it led to a conversation with the Lord, and I was pretty angry, and I said, God, I'm super over this, either you change how I feel, or I'm done, I remember saying it pretty clear to him, and I'm never going to forget, 
and I'm sure you guys have had moments of, the, of this in your life. He said, Jacob, I'm going to take you on a journey of worship through the heart. You see yourself as just someone that leads songs for church, and that's where your identity has been found. But I see you first as a son. Way before what you can do for me, I see you as a worshiper first, way before a worship leader. Him saying this because of his goodness, it honestly changed my life. His words in that moment were life, and I'm sure you guys have had moments like that. So through my journey of learning what true worship is, I started realizing that true worship actually didn't have much to do with me leading songs. It was actually way more intimate than that. It was about me learning how to be a son before all else. I found that true worship happens a lot of times when no one's watching. It happens in relationship with God through the ups and downs of life. It's us giving him a sacrifice from our heart to ultimately give him honor and worth. And so... The reason why I want us to read out of Mark 14 is there's a beautiful story, I believe, of worship that depicts this perfectly. So are you guys there? Okay, let's read Mark 14, starting in verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread, even stop there, olden days, they didn't know really how to name their festivals good. Festival of unleavened bread. I think of Coachella and stuff now. Unleavened bread, not that cool. But anyways, moving on. Now the Passover and the fest, not in my notes. Holy Spirit adjustment now in Jesus' name. Okay, unleavened bread. We're only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. That's super rude. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Doesn't sound that good, but let's believe that it's really nice. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, And the money could have been given to the poor. And get this, remember this. And they rebuked her harshly. I love this. This is Jesus, our Savior, our friend. He says, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you could help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. Get this. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. This is so good. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow, that's a powerful story. And here we are later, years later, still talking about this story. So powerful. Um, So this story actually sets us up perfectly for this simple question. Next slide. What is worship? Okay, when we talk about worship, what are we actually talking about? Again, real simple, next slide. Worship is giving Jesus worth. Worship is giving Jesus worth in all that we do. It doesn't have much to do with us at all and everything to do with him. See, I know we hear this a lot, but it's super true, is that Christianity is about relationship, not religion. So this even rings true when we talk about worship. Worship can easily be moved into being about something we do and not about a person we worship. At the end of the day, I believe worship is always made to lead to a face-to-face encounter with God, with the person of Jesus. And this is really cool. Actually, in the Old Testament, the word worship was used a ton. The definition of worship in Hebrew was actually the word kiss. How awesome is that? It was, 
in a way where to worship God meant to kiss God. Even some translations that I loved said to throw a kiss into God's direction. I love that. See, worship was always meant to be, next slide, intimacy found in friendship. It's all about intimacy and relationship. And just like the story that we just read, the lady poured perfume on Jesus' hair. I mean, how intimate is that? So let's just picture this for a second, kind of a recap. So there's a house, maybe even a room, right? And there's, I just picture so many people crowded in that house. And I, when I already think about a room or a house, I think of it being an intimate place. It's where family happens. I can picture a group of people listening to Jesus talk about the kingdom while he's reclining in his chair. And then all of a sudden, we just see this woman burst forth with so much love and passion in her heart. And she intimately gets close to Jesus and she worships him extravagantly. Now for my next point, worship has to cost you something. It must be a sacrifice. So back to the story, the woman poured expensive perfume on Jesus. It was probably the best that she had. It was her most prized possession. What she poured onto Jesus was probably something that she took time to get, money. It was a sacrifice. So now now track with me for a second. Sacrifice most of the time goes beyond convenience, right? So it's the most expensive perfume that she had, and it took her time to get. And she could have even kept this perfume as maybe a point of class or sell it for more riches, but instead she chose to inconvenience herself, if you will, and she sacrificed that to Jesus. So my first kind of nugget for you guys to remember tonight is, next slide, fire always falls on sacrifice. So we can see here that the woman made a sacrifice of her heart, and get this, the fire of his love, his acceptance and pleasure went straight to her. It so moved his heart that he, Jesus even said, this one act of worship will be talked about for the rest of eternity. So church, let our worship move his heart like that. Amen? So next slide. True extravagant worship always offends the religious spirit. If you remember in the story, there were many people in the room that saw the, the woman's act of worship and were actually super annoyed. I'd even go as far as saying they despised it in their hearts. I'm kind of pr- paraphrasing here a bit, but they're saying, why did you do that? It's so silly. It's too extravagant. Do you realize how much that perfume costs? This is so unwise. And even the Bible, as you guys remember, it said they rebuked her harshly. See, guys, the religious spirit doesn't know what to do with big worship. They get offended. They don't like it because it seems too much. The religious spirit does its best to control, tame, and keep everything orderly and much like a formula. But no, as we see from the story, Jesus actually got super angry at them, right? It's pretty awesome. I love that. Guys, get this. Jesus protects extravagant worship. He actually tells the religious spirit to leave the beautiful worship alone. So let us not be the people that point our finger at something we don't understand, but Saints Hill will be a church of wild and free worship, where we begin to bring our best sacrifices to his feet week after week and extravagantly worship him. Now, shifting gears here a bit and asking the question, what is worship? I want to get practical because you might be saying, Jake, we still have our gatherings. We still have our songs. We still have our set list. Are those bad? I would say no. But in the Western church, I feel like it's very easy to think of worship as just being songs. So next slide, very simple. Worship is not just songs. Is that good? The laughs. Wow, that's good. Worship is not just songs. 
But it's so actually, it, it's, it's very easy to think of worship as the songs we sing on Sunday or just this vibe or this feel that we get in a room. And I'm not saying this is bad in nature, but just remember it should be found in its rightful place. So next slide, I would say it's an expression of worship. So the potential problem, I would say, in looking at worship as just songs is that we can easily shift our focus from the person this is all for to just this excellent artistic expression that we call music. So hear me, the, the heart isn't to dumb down our music. It's, our heart is not to play, not just not sing songs. But here's some questions I have for you. Can you and do you know how to worship when no one is watching? Can you worship when there's no band in front of you? This one's kind of funny. Can you worship when your phone dies and you can't get to your perfectly curated Spotify worship playlist that took you so long to get? Can you worship in that moment? We must come back to the realization that worship is solely a matter of the heart. So in being in charge of our worship teams here at our church, I don't want anyone on stage playing or leading worship who doesn't worship when they aren't leading. <laughs> Let me say that again. I don't want anyone on stage playing or leading worship who doesn't worship when they aren't leading. So shifting gears here a bit, we kind of just talked about what is worship. Let's talk about why do we worship. Are we, are we live? I'm alive. Okay, are we, are we good? Okay. Why do we worship? I think this question could have hundreds of different approaches of why, why do we worship. But I think simply, I think I've kind of made it already known. I think simply it's because Jesus is worthy of all our praise. He's given us so much. He's given us a new life through saving us, him dying on the cross, and then giving us resurrection power. And just like how I said before, worship is a kiss. But remember, before any type of, when we gather, before any type of love that we pour on him, it's because he first loved us, right? Because he first kissed us, if you will. He made the first move. He gave us everything. He saved us. And so now it's our job forever to live a life of worship back to him, of giving him glory, to give him worth. Not out of a place of, oh, no, you shouldn't have. Now I owe you. Or now I have to do something because I'm so sorry that you went through this. No, it's because of adoration, love, and thankfulness. Let's not forget that life is a gift and it was given by him. Now, one thing I want to chat about in regards to why we worship is, next slide, faith and authority. So faith, when I think of faith, I think of maybe the question of what do you believe in? So maybe like faith statements. We say stuff like, I believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You may say, I believe in Jesus, that he's the Messiah. Maybe even simply put, you say, I believe that you should treat others the way you want to be treated right? Just faith statements. And the list goes on, and I truly think these are great, and they have a place, and they're powerful. But let's take it a step further. I actually want to look on the screen, and I want, to, I want to tackle what maybe biblical faith looks like. Okay, so this is out of James 2, verse 14 through 18. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not accompanied, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Wow. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Pretty powerful. 
See, I would argue, based on biblical faith, that biblical faith has a physical expression. It looks like something. If you want to know what you actually believe in this life, don't just take those mental assessments. Those are good. Don't just say those. But actually, show me how you live. Everything that you believe should be found in how you, how you live. So show me who you align yourself with. Show me where you spend your money, your time, your energy, and I'm sure I'll be able to tell you what you worship. Because through faith or with faith, the things you actually believe should be visible on your life. You should be able to see them and even point to them at certain times of your life, positive or negative. And so church, I, I do believe that we have a chance as a community to step into real faith, into biblical faith. We have an opportunity to have so much faith in our worship where it looks like we're diving into what we believe in the songs we sing that it starts to take you to different places you've never been in him and ultimately you start being transformed. See, my prayer for Saints Hill is that when anyone comes into our gatherings, so maybe just a newcomer, maybe even a non-believer, that they can actually look at the songs we sing so maybe the lyrics on the screen, they can listen and hear the messages that we give, they can read our values, and that they can say something like this. These people actually believe what they say or sing. They don't just declare things and then not do them. And I can tell because of what they look like. And much more important, because of what they do and how they live. When you press into worshiping with all you do, you become like him. Next slide. N.T. Wright says this. You become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of that object of your worship. So see, guys, you will be transformed, and then I believe that this leads to, next slide, authority. We now have to put our faith into practice and do the things of the kingdom. I do believe that faith in worship will lead us to do the kingdom exploits. We must realize as true worshipers of God, we carry kingdom authority. Because guys, what happens when we gather and we worship? Wherever, in your car or here or at your workplace, what we're doing is we're saying this place is now under the rule and reign of Jesus. So anything in this world, in his world, so heaven can happen here through me. This whole lifestyle of worship I've been talking about should ultimately always lead back, always lead back to next slide, on earth as it is in heaven. We probably sound like a broken record, but this is good. On earth as it is in heaven. See, when we step into great authority that he's given us, a life of worship, when, when we step into giving him all the glory, it means that we also remember that we're ambassadors sent from heaven to make earth look like heaven. So practically, what does a true worshiper that knows their authority look like? Well, I would say another word for authority in this context, we could say responsibility. We are now responsible in our worship, hello. We are now responsible in our worship to speak life over dead places, whether in song or in our gatherings or at anywhere else on, while you're driving your car. We are responsible to rebuke the works of the enemy. We are responsible to break off chains and lies over people or even our town. How? By releasing worship, by releasing and declaring blessings. Guys, I really do believe in writing this. I got super excited because I thought of each one of you, like anybody that I could remember, and I was praying for the church. And I was thinking, just we're going to be so good at this. I think we've already been talking like as a team, and it's like we're already floored by the way that you guys love Jesus, 
how you love the present. And so we're going to be so good at this. And so, so getting back to this, we should never actually walk, now that we know the authority that we have through worship, we should actually never walk into this church the same, knowing we have that responsibility. We should never walk into our grocery stores, the restaurants that we go to, ever the same. We should never walk through our neighborhoods, our schools and workplaces the same. And guys, even get this one. We should, when we wake up, we should never read the news the same. Because <laughs> guys, I, I really do feel this is a prophetic word for our church and our future. And every prophetic word, I believe, is, is, is not just a declaration, but also an invitation. So guys, I could say all these things, but we do nothing. But what happens if we take this call of authority in worship as an invitation we step in? You guys, I was even slightly convicted in writing this message because it's pretty easy to be bold in a sermon and declare these things, right? It's pretty easy to be bold when the lights are on and the band's awesome and they're playing your favorite song. It's pretty easy to be bold and have faith in worship. Um, but what about when you're actually faced with impossibility or oppression or something, or you're praying for healing for some, someone? You can initially feel a lot smaller than you actually are and you might even feel intimidating. And you might even feel like, I actually don't feel like I have the power over this situation. Well, good news. You're right. It's his power. It can't be mustered up. So trust him and allow Jesus to be the powerful one. So please know that we actually have a grace for the process to take risk and grow. But remember, all of this at the end of the day is about reliance on Jesus. There's no 12-step program to a lifestyle of worship. There's no, um, like, personality type that can really grasp this. There isn't even like a quote-unquote skill set that I've gained in this lifestyle worship, and that person doesn't have it, and oh, they're close, and that person definitely doesn't have it. It's not that. It's actually something that we grow into. It's a journey. So once again, our team might sound like a broken record, but this assignment on earth as, as it is in heaven is the Lord's Prayer. And I want to say this. It's his prayer, which means it's his desire. This isn't some idea that charismatics or some Pentecostals thought up on some retreat or like some back room. We didn't just get in the back room and be like, on earth as it is in heaven. No, guys, I think it's, it's very simple. I think it's good. But no, because really, I think sometimes we think that that is just like this thing that is like an idea for a church. No, guys, if our main thing is to give Jesus glory and he is the only one that we worship, we, we also need to focus on what moves his heart. It's his prayer. It's his desire. So to start to kind of wrap up here, the next slide, how do we worship? Well, I want to get real simple and practical here. Kind of first point, we love his presence. Next slide. Carol Wimber, who's John Wimber's wife, he's one of the founding uh, people of the Vineyard Movement, he said this. She said, don't pursue the power, pursue his presence. The power is in his presence. It's so good. So let's talk about um, presence for a bit. Very simple. The definition of presence is the state or fact of something existing, one thing or person being present, right? So guys, we are going to be people that love his presence. We love when Jesus shows up into a room. We, in our gatherings, he's the main thing that we focus on. Just like how I said before in the Old Testament, worship means kiss. What's really cool is that the word presence in the Old Testament in the Greek actually meant face. So get this, when we talk about the presence, we're talking about him. We're talking about his face. We're, actually, we're not talking, once again, about some new cool idea or something that this church does. 
you know, churches can actually, I've noticed, get really super wrapped up in this. That actually that church over there really focuses on the Holy Spirit and the presence, and we don't really do that, or vice versa. And I, I don't know. I, I would say I, most of the time I get where they're coming from. But, but at the end of the day, I think we should all have a, a unity of heart that says at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus and him being present in our midst. So let me expand on this a bit more. See, I'm not against our programs or our structures. I mean, even practically, I think it's nice that we have this building to worship in. You know, we have the children's check-in. We have a place for kids to learn. And even in this gathering, let's be real, we know there's a structure. There's, um, we start now at five and you kind of come in and then we do worship and then someone greets and then someone teaches and we do worship. So structure isn't bad. I think it's beautiful, but I think it needs to be said from the stage that, guys, for Saints Hill, it's his presence, not a program that drives this house. We give up our programs, we give up our plans, and it's his presence that drives this house. One of my best friends, TJ Newell, I think he's even in the back, and I don't know if he remembers he said this. He actually texted me this, this beautiful quote. This is straight from him, and I'm quoting my good friend. It's beautiful. He said this, his presence is not a thing or idea that needs to be advertised or marketed. He is a person that needs to be worshipped. It's so good. So being a church that hosts his presence isn't, a, isn't for a people that are just looking for a spiritual high. See, it can easily just become about us, where we're like, oh gosh, my day super stunk. I can't wait to get to church. I've had such a hard week. I can't wait till the band builds up, and I really hope that they play that song, and I can't wait to feel some Holy Spirit snuggles and get some goosebumps, Right? And guys, honestly, it's funny, but I've seen this mindset creep into churches, and honestly, specifically some, some charismatic churches. I'm totally okay with us getting all the nice Holy Spirit feels or whatever, but trust me, I've even had some major like bodily encounters. That's weird to say, but I, I have. So I'm not against those feelings, but listen, God has something way much bigger than when it comes to hosting his presence. God has something way bigger about him revealing his presence to the world for us to just dumb down his presence to some heebie-jeebie feelings. So lastly, let's get even more practical here. How do we worship? When we realize that true worship happens through Monday through Saturday, I think the first step is that we have to get rid of sacred versus secular, if you've heard of this before. We need to understand that everything we put our hands to in worship is unto him where we don't only give him our songs on Sundays, but we give him our full lives, fully surrendered. See, God's greatest gift to us is our free will, I believe. He doesn't want to control us. He wants a relationship with us way more than religious duties. And I've found that true love is nurtured and found through our free will. And therefore, our greatest gift back to him is to use our free will to choose to worship him and give him everything everything that he is worth and everything, in everything that we do. See, when I, I think about 24-7 worship to Jesus, I like to think about this. Next slide. The gathering of roses metaphor. Okay, you're probably like, what the heck is that? Okay, well, track with me. So what I mean, and I hope this helps you guys, what I mean is when I'm alone, let's say on a Monday, and I'm maybe just cleaning the house, and I have, yeah, maybe some worship music playing, and I'm kind of praying over things, I would say, I would say I'm giving him glory in everything I'm just like, maybe cleaning or cooking something, just whatever it is. And I feel like, if you will, that when I move my attention and my affection to him, in that moment, he intimately gives me a rose. And then let's say on Tuesday, 
I have another job other than St. Sil. I've been to, I work at Red Hills Market, which is awesome. Does everyone know Red Hills Market? Anyways, go there. Tuna melt. Good. Okay. But let's just say I'm at my work. And honestly, it can be kind of stressful. It can kind of be like a lot of emotions and there's a temptation to get into works and, and there's all the customers maybe angry and then your peers just stressed out. And in that moment while you're working, if I choose to put aside my feelings and maintain peace, that's me, I believe, bringing heaven into my workplace. So I believe, once again, intimately, he gives me a rose. Let's say that I'm super tired and I have a lunch date scheduled with someone and there's been times where I have a lunch date scheduled and I don't really want to go. I think we've all been there. And so you're kind of tired and you wish you could be doing something else. And you start talking to that person and they're actually going through maybe like a really hard time. And in that moment, you decide to put away your feelings. I just spit, gross. Put aside your feelings and you say, and you actually serve them by listening. Maybe you give them a prophetic word to encourage them. You fight in that conversation to keep Jesus at the center of it all. So, in other words, you're giving him worth. I would say that's another act of worship. So I get another rose, if you will. Or let's say on a Friday I feel pain and anxiety and my flesh wants to stay up and just like go in this like deep, dark Netflix binge or something like that and maybe like watch some weird, raunchy movie or something. I don't know. But something meaningless. But instead, I choose to talk to him Instead, I choose to not drive my pain into Netflix, but instead I choose to maybe talk to my wife, pray, focus on him, maybe even listen to a life-giving sermon or a podcast or whatever it is. See, that's giving him worth. So I would say another rose. So worship is giving him sacrifices of the flesh. So then get this. I would say that on Sunday, I gather up all my roses from the week And worship on Sunday during the gathering, all the songs that we sing in the praise is me handing a big bouquet of roses back to Jesus. It's beautiful. And when we get to that point, when I get up on stage and I'm leading passionately and you guys see me, sometimes it looks like my head's going to pop and he's sweating a lot. Maybe he's laughing, he's crying, he's dancing, whatever it is. It's because Monday through Saturday, I've given my heart and deeds to him as an act of worship. Then Sunday is just a gift. It's a privilege and a huge joy. Where honestly, everything you see up here on stage on a Sunday is the cherry on the top of my worship throughout the week. So to kind of wrap up, maybe even let's stand. Are you guys getting something out of this? Are you guys happy? So we talked about what is worship. We talked about why we worship. How we worship. Let me just encourage us real quick. I keep, I, I said it a couple times already tonight, but I just, I, I really want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. I, I, just, I feel like the times of worship that we've had, we've only, how many of you know, we've only scratched the surface. And so I just love that we're already starting to see our family here that loves his presence, that loves worship. And guys, we're going to be so stinking good at this. We are going to be a people that love his presence, that love Jesus that we don't come here just for church. You know, the, the early church gathered around the presence, not a message. So we're going to be like them and gather around the presence. Um, we're going to be a church. This is huge on my heart. I talk about this all the time. We're going to be a church where it doesn't take three songs to get into worship. 
I've played at some churches where it's like, hey, we got to, okay, what's the upbeat song? And then hit them with another one. The, the first one, they're not really listening, so hit them with the second one. And guys, I just want to declare that we, we are going to be a church where it doesn't take three songs for us to worship just to pump us up. Guys, if we become that church, it's a sure sign that it's been boiled down to songs and feelings. It's something I have to get to. And I actually can't get there by myself. I need a pastor. I need somebody to sing a song. But imagine if the first thing that we do every Sunday is we come together as a people who love Jesus. We all come. I know it's a cheesy metaphor, but I think it's beautiful. Imagine we come through those doors and we're all holding our bouquets of roses. We all have our roses and we all gather here. And it, before even like the first chord is struck, we're ready to give back praise back to Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing because then that heart also shows that worship has nothing to do with us. We came ready saying we have nothing to give here. We're actually here to be stirred up in love and then in good works, right? So God, would you make us a people of worship? Would you make us a house of worship? God, I pray that...